Hello, Phil here. Just before you listen to this episode, which don't get me wrong is a good episode, however, we are not on top form. You see, we recorded this episode whilst we were on holiday, and you know what happens, a few fizzy pops here and there, and I must apologise for my lack of professionalism. On his deathbed, my uh, grandfather um, said to me, Graham, never podcast drunk. I'd like to say sorry, Grandad. Sorry. We really should not have podcasted drunk. It is an absolute terrible shame for all of our listeners out there. It should never have happened, and we vow for it to never happen again. Here's an idea. Why don't we raise a toast to podcast professionalism? Okay. (sighs) Cheers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 14, the episode we can't remember recording. Croeso to Sabrina the Teenage Watch, the podcast where three drunk and diligent dudes review all 163 episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. My name is Phil Dean. I must admit I'm a little bit tipsy at this time because we're supposed to remain um, professional, I guess, in these circumstances. We are a professional podcast provider. No. You might disagree, Chris, but this is what I feel. However, you might think that we sound a little different. That's because we're in a different venue. We're in a cottage in Wales. Where exactly are we? Uh, well, mid-Wales. Powys. Uh, somewhere equidistant between Thranidroes uh, uh, and uh, Newtown. Um, essentially the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, we've had a fair bit to drink, but I mean, you know... We've still got a job to do, haven't we? We've still got a job to do, and I mean, as I believe I said on a recent episode, professional intensity, we've got to sort of maintain a level of sort of broadcasting expertise that you have come to expect from us, and we will endeavour to do that in spite of the intoxicants we have consumed. Yes, and, and that, uh, uh, that uh, voice came from, uh, to my left, it was from uh, Graham Riley. So, Graham, how are you feeling today? I'm in a great mood. I mean, we've had a wonderful day, and it's been capped off by viewing a very enjoyable episode of Spree of the Teenage Witch. Indeed, and the, the voice that was just about to cut in there with something no doubt witty is the man to my right, Mr Chris Evans. How are you, Chris? Well, it wasn't exactly witty. I was just here... I was just going to say... That I'm here to have fun. Exactly, and that's what we're here to do this as whole, are we all. This whole weekend, we are we are here in the beautiful Welsh countryside, away from the sort of depressing location of Warrington that we normally reside. Nobody is going to interrupt us. We are completely no, isolated. We, so we are up to episode fourteen, boys. Second episode of disc three yeah. of season one. That is, how are we feeling so far? Well, I, I mean, we were almost really taking a punt with uh, deciding to review uh, this uh, particular series. We had vague memories of it from our childhood, but we didn't know uh, that it was of the standard that it is. Exactly. It is certainly something you can watch as a 20-something, you know, a late 20s adult as we are, um, a, a man at that, and still get a tremendous amount of enjoyment from... The wit and the charm uh, that this series provides. At this point, not at all re- regretting the decision. No. I believe 
Yeah, we're up to a winner here. I've enjoyed the vast majority of episodes so far. Now, uh, we're up to episode 14, which was correctly um, defined, described by Chris on the uh, the previous episode, episode 13. You guessed, just from the title, what this episode might be. It was Sabrina Through the Looking Glass. Uh, a quick synopsis of it is, after a humongous wart causes Sabrina to get into a foul mood, she decides to confide in her mirrored alter ego, who in turn traps her inside the mirrored dimension until she can make amends with her loved ones. Boys, it sounds like a treacherous episode. Shall we get started? Chris, are you ready? Oh, yes. Graeme, are you ready? Precisely. Okay, well, let's start the episode. Uh, it opens with Hilda, Zelda and Sabrina doing yoga uh, with best... Br- uh, with breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great start. So the episode opens with Hilda, Zelda and Sabrina doing some yoga with Beth Broderick, the only one who's rocking it. Oh, Oh, heavens above, yes. She's done this before. She has definitely done this before. She's bouncing on her head. She's sort of stabilising and rocking those abs. She is talking during it, which is even harder. Boy, she... She's definitely done this before. We know that she has been in this position. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, it's, it's worth noting, Zelda as a character, if you were to, you know, of any of the central characters, which one does yoga, you would say Zelda. Oh, Defs, Defs yoga. Against Sabrina and Hilda's protests, Zelda encourages them to stick with it, causing Sabrina to get too into it, levitating her to the ceiling and banging her head. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yes. Um, this... I'm pretty sure it's reminiscent of a scene that I can recall from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Right. Where both Hilda and Zelda are doing some form of meditation, Mm -hmm. going, um, and such. And the phone rings, and they say that they've reached Nirvana. We'll be very interested to see if that crops up later on. I mean, there were elements of this episode which are among the few moments that I recall seeing of Sabrina the Teenage Witch as a child. Uh, this yeah, was an episode. I, I don't recall any of that, so I would. I really hope I keep this in my mind and remember that when they meditate and they reach Nirvana, that'll be... Yeah. It's one of those tricks where yeah. the phone rings and they think that they've reached Nirvana. I, I'm not 100%. It, it might be way in the future... It might not. It might be the next episode. I couldn't tell you. I it just it that buzzed. Yeah, it that, buzzed that, something. That, that, that is one to that is one to see. See if see if you're right. See if yeah. that is indeed a scene later on. Will we smell teen spirit in the future? Let's find <laughs> out. Oh god. Um, so yeah, after that happens with the yoga. Grandma, uh, take me home. <laughs> <laughs> we return to the titles where uh, Sabrina at the end of it is uh, dressed as a mermaid who says nothing but she spits water. I mean, at the at the end of the day. <laughs> Obviously, Chris's, Chris's catchphrase that we get printed on T-shirts very, very soon. At the end of the day. Available at a store nearby. But, but, the best thing is, we are actually recording this podcast for once at the end of the day. So, um... It is, it is at the end of the day, which is, so Chris... Can I finish we, my point? We are laughing, but you, your point is very, very accurate and anyway, relevant. mermaids, mermaids. Can I just say, the whole mermaid thing. Yes. Sabrina, dressed as a mermaid was not as attractive as 
as one might anticipate. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Daryl Hannah anyway. Um, <laughs> the um, the film Splash, directed by Ron Howard, um, which was uh, in the early 90s, um, where Daryl Hannah played a mermaid. She was very attractive. It was a funny film, enjoyable film. Um, she, when arriving on Earth, chose the name Madison as her Earth mm-hmm. name, taking it from Madison Avenue, the street in, I believe, New York. The name Madison as a girl's name is now among the more popular names given to girls in the United States. It did not exist before this film. Ron Howard essentially invented the name Madison. Wow. We join Sabrina in her bedroom just as she drops her biosphere on the floor. Uh, Then a sudden pain on her head takes her attention away. She looks in the mirror to find a monstrous brown M&M stuck to her head. A what, that is. Can I just clarify for the audience what a biosphere is? Well, (coughs) clarify to the audience and to us in the room, because I'm unsure of exactly the purpose of the biosphere. So, a biosphere is meant to be a... um, an ecosystem of self-making. Right. Therefore, it should be able to be Mm self-sustaining. Whatever one might put into this biosphere, it self-sustains. Okay. That that's that's essentially it, really. Kind of like Norwich. Yeah, I mean Nor- Norwich is its own sort of independent ecosystem. It's very detached from everything else. Nonetheless, it's still there. So uh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Norwich. It, it, so it supports itself. Yeah. Self so, self replenishing. Yes. Yeah. So the the sunlight that enters goes into the leaves. The leaves uh, create chlorophyll. The plants feed release oxygen, which eventually turns into water, there is a little wee pool, etc. And then so on and so forth, yeah. and it just... Just like Norwich. Phil thought it was a sphere that likes man spheres and lady spheres. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so she's brought this uh, biosphere that she's been working, uh, slaving very hard on for her science project, and yeah, what does she notice in the mirror but a uh, delicious wart on her face. Uh, we cut to the kitchen where Hilda is checking sa- uh, Salem stock prices in the paper. Um, which poses the question, boys, what on earth do you think Salem is investing in? World domination. I don't think world domination is floated on the stock market. Could it be weapons to well, maybe, power? Well, maybe he's trying to buy up the stocks in an industry which would form the future. I mean, you know, you're here in the late 90s. It could, could well be that he's buying up, you know, sort of... Um, Defence for the Millennium Bug. We're only, the Millennium only three bug. years away from it yeah, this time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, sort of... Hybrid cars, maybe he's investing in them, you know. Th- th- things that will... Software, the future maybe. Software, exactly. I'd like to point out, Salem's a cat. Mm-hmm. But with the brain of a human. Of course, we know this. We've established this. Yeah. How does he turn the page of the stock market? How does he keep up to date? Well, as you see... Um, well, we know that he can answer a phone, <laughs> but we've never seen him turn a page. Hilda was reading the paper for him. Right. And Salem was saying, can you check up on my stocks? And Hilda turned the page for him. So I guess Hilda is kind of his financial puppet, in a way. Yeah. Hilda's outfit in this episode is quite quite uh, eye-catching. Um, it's very colourful. Yeah. Um, it's got a lot of uh, pink and yellow and green mixed with black in a check pattern. It very much reminds me of a popular 90s uh, children's character, that of Elmer the Elephant. Elmer the Elephant, yes. Chris, do you remember Elmer the Elephant? No. It was the patchwork... Patch, patchwork Elephant, um, when 
uh, it rained, I believe his coat turned grey. But you know, sort of in, in, in sunshine, he was a beautiful, colourful elephant. He was, you know, he I I, I read about him as a child. He was, yeah, he's a big part he was of my very child. Ins- very inspirational, wasn't he? he, he yeah, he very much made me realise that don't go out when it rains, <laughs> which I never do. So but you don't uh, join the day, but please get inside before it rains, yes, otherwise exa- you'll just exactly. be revealed to be as boring as everyone else. Exactly. Sabrina uh, stomps downstairs and shows Salem her first witch's wart. And Salem has seemingly been upgraded into a friendlier looking animatronic right now. He's a lot better looking. He also mentions about the fact that witches get warts when they're stressed. Yes. So all these witches throughout, you know, sort of the history of popular culture who we've known, who have, you know, been these hideous, you know, sort of, you know, hags with or warts, you know, on every sort of conceivable sort of corner of their face. They're just stressing out too much. If they calm down, they'd actually be quite attractive. So do you think if in the likes of maybe Snow White, when you see... Uh, yeah, the, Maleficent. The, the no, Melis- no, that's the wrong one. That's Rapunzel. Yeah, you see the the Wicked Witch or is, is transformed herself into that one. Yeah, she's transformed herself into a witch and she's got warts everywhere. Do you think she was just a bit stressed going, mm, I don't think she's going to fall for this apple gag. Witches get warts when they're stressed. Mm-hmm. Magic? Question mark? What do you mean by the magic question mark, though? Magic for what? To get rid of the wart. I think it's just part of a witch's thing that you can't get rid of. Yeah, no, I mean, no, 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 Settle down, I'm going to have to... It's been a pre-established element of sort of the witch situation that you cannot alter your personal appearance. They couldn't get rid of cellulite when they get older. I'm bringing you two examples right now. I have two right. historical examples. Historical, of, not from Sabrina. No. Uh, of witches removing warts or changing their appearance to disguise their warts. But who's to say historical <coughs> witches are canon to the witches in this universe? Well, so far we haven't seen anything that says otherwise. Still, I mean, it's a bit, a bit tenuous to say a witch in a completely different story is part of the same world as this. One. Yes? Rachel Vise. <laughs> in the mummy she's not a witch in that no um, no no no. Rachel Weisz in um, in uh, Oz the Great and Powerful right. right she was able to disguise her true form using uh, magic okay Okay. As was Michelle Pfeiffer in Stardust but both those films were made after this so I don't know if ignore Michelle Pfeiffer I can't she's lovely yeah, she really is. Um, anyway, <laughs> ignore Michelle Pfeiffer, and I'm bringing you to a, a more recent one, which is Melisandre in Game of Thrones, okay. who has a magical <laughs> necklace yes. that turns her from this her actual age, which we've seen naked on screen. Yes, yeah, but her actual age uh, would be a hundred years old. Exactly. So. But she has a magical necklace that ensures that she remains looking young when in front of other people. Therefore, I'm saying that witches have the capability of removing such things as warts. Maybe they have, but I think Hilda and Zelda, if they knew, they wouldn't tell her because Sabrina's got to learn to cut with these things herself. I like Michelle Pfeiffer. 
So anyway, <laughs> so as we continue, um, so they are, um, so they are sort of stressing. Well, Sabrina is stressing really about this wart uh, that is right in the middle of her forehead. Hilda tells a hilarious story of how she had one on the end of a nose for almost a decade. Uh, Hilda suggests that Sabrina should wear a baseball cap to hide it. In fact, not just any baseball cap, but a Baltimore Orioles hat, indeed, uh, to be precise, and just go to school. Uh, she tells them that she also broke her biosphere and her magic won't repair it, which Zelda gets her sort of eco-friendly Al Gore hat on and says it's because it's a number seven plastic that repels magic and sadly cannot be recycled. What about that? What about that? So, magic-resistant plastic. Yeah. It kind of fits in the fact that how um, if witches go missing, it's still 24 hours, just yep. like regular... Police with a missing persons report. I guess it's kind of in this way that there are some magics which can't repair poorly constructed man-made substances. Non-biodegradable substances apparently are impervious to um, witchcraft, which yeah. is which is an interesting Very development. Um, anyway, we're at school and Sabrina is struggling to get into a locker, uh, topping up her already terrible day and causing her to ignore Jenny's pleas about telling her something important. A burning question. A burning mm. question is what she precise as, but she doesn't mention what it is. So she bumps into Mr. Poole, who makes reference to her Baltimore Orioles cap. This is later repeated by Harvey when she eventually meets him in the library. So he again makes reference to the fact that it's, oh, you're wearing a Baltimore's Orioles hat. Can I wear it too? And she's like, oh, no, 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 don't. I mean, wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat would be quite unusual, I imagine, where they are, which, as we've established before, is a suburb of Boston. So the fact she's not a Red Sox fan uh, would be quite unusual. Yeah, very weird. I mean, I'm not clued up on my American sports, but it seems a little out of place and a bit weird. Especially seeing how the uh, the guest star of this episode seems so random and so unnecessary. It's a bit it's weird. So how bad they... acting. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this later, but it's really weird how specifically it's the Baltimore Orioles. Could have been anyone in the world to star in. It didn't have to be a sports star, just anyone. And yeah, it happens to be a player for Baltimore Orioles. Very weird, but we'll get to that later. And his exquisite acting abilities. Yeah. Um, so um, so we're in the library and she meets Harvey she's in a bad mood and she rudely tells Harvey about her damaged science project leading him to reveal his part of the project a spider monkey hand puppet called Marty yes is this the same Marty that's on the end of the phone to um, Ty White C in the Kung Fu episode I like think his, so he's also his agent I think his agent is a uh, monkey puppet controlled by Harvey of all people <laughs> Yeah, it's very, it, it surely can't just be a coincidence that this spider monkey's called Marty and also an unvoiced, unreferenced, really, character is also called Marty. Bit strange. Maybe, maybe Marty the spider monkey is control of everything. Maybe. Maybe the reason Ty Say has never been able to break his typecast figure is because he's entrusting his career to a monkey controlled <laughs> by a dim-witted high school student. Um, so yes, yeah, so Harvey is controlling a spider monkey hand puppet called Marty. Uh, despite Sabrina's disgust at merely the sight of it, Harvey says it's a guaranteed A, and in fact that Mr. Poole will love it. So, you know, you'll love it that we've given a tragedy and extinction a face and a name. With what we know about Mr. Poole and his sensibilities and his sense of humour, he may well be right. He could very well be. All I'm going to say, as a teacher, if a student of mine came into class for a presentation with a puppet, A. 
Do you want to know why? <laughs> why, Chris? Please. You're, you're the resident sort of spokesperson when it comes to teaching sort of marking algorithms and exam boards. Tell us why. It shows initiative, yes, thinking outside the box, and imagination. Sabrina mocks Harvey here for, yeah. you know, sort of bringing a puppet into the equation. Admittedly, Harvey is no ventriloquist. No. He is quite clearly speaking Marty's words. Uh, as the little monkey toy uh, speaks, but he's invented his own little character here. He you know, he's you know he he could ap- apply you know utter apathy to the situation, and he has gone to the trouble. I doubt he already owned a monkey puppet. He probably <laughs> bought it. He probably purposely did. for this. So you know what you, you know what Sabrina, you know. Okay, maybe that's not your sort of thing. These sort of monkey puppets, but at the end of the day. Sorry, sorry. Yes. Sorry to steal his life. Yes. Feel free to sue me, but ultimately, Harvey has possibly spent money on this uh, science project, and he certainly applied a level of ingenuity and artistic endeavour to it. So, yeah, well done, well done, Harvey. And, it, and as Chris's um, criteria goes, he would have got an A with it. If 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 uh, if Harvey appeared himself in one of your acting classes, if mm. one of your drama uh, classes with a hand puppet, and he presented this staggering, imaginative and innovative uh, monologue with Marty the Spider Monkey addressing the perils of rainforest deforestation. Fucking A, mate. <laughs> yeah, just, just purely because it's just... It's something that you don't often see. It's so, a student has really taken this on board and gone the extra mile. Yeah. But, I mean, what is deforestation? Is when the train stops in the woods. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. You can cut that, right? (laughs) That's worse than anything I've said. So, let's please swiftly move on. Oh, shit. Um, Anyway, so just like that joke, Sabrina shoots it down, and we cut to the classroom where her broken biosphere, or a jar of dirt, as it's called, as it's been passed around, is going down like a lead balloon. However, using his initiative, Harvey brings Marty the spider monkey to the party and seems to tell an invigorating story off the top of his head. That was terrific, Mr. Poole says. Very creative. You've really brought extinction to life. Exactly. And that's a great uh, joke. That's a great one-liner for Mr. Poole. There are many. And again, you see, Harvey used his initiative. He was creative. And it got the desired response. So, you know, Sabrina's cynicism over this whole Marty situation has proven to be unfounded. Yes. However... This was only said after Sabrina made a reference to a certain Geordie freedom fighter, frontman of the police, Mr. Sting. Yeah, I mean, the sort of transformation of Mr. Gordon Sumner from, uh, you know, frontman of sort of, you know, sort of new wave uh, pop act of the 1980s um, into this man who was, you know, fully embracing of global culture and had a real sort of crusade to save the rainforest, to preserve the natural world as we know it, it was very much a fixture of the 90s. It very much sort so, of... So, hang on, so if it was a fixture of the 90s... Well, y- you, you, might, you might say, Phil, that as far as this episode goes, sort of invoking Sting in the, the uh, capacity as an eco-warrior, you may say, Phil, that that is this week's... That's so 90s! So, Graham, please explain, continue oh. to uh, to talk about how Sting was an eco-warrior in the 90s and no one cares about his effort or what the rainforests are doing now. Well, I mean, 
stuff like the rainforest and the ozone layer, like that was sort of the beginning of sort of the um, ecocentric campaigning we um, we see today. I mean, it's sort of moved on to climate change um, and sort of the use of, of fossil fuels, the uh, search for alternative energy. Um, but certainly, Sting was sort of the stereotype which has been sort of mocked on many things like South Park and the like um, of the sort of celebrities sort of very earnestly crusading for these, you know, uh, global causes but ultimately sort of coming across as kind of shallow and sort of martyr-like. That kind of began with the likes of Sting um, mm. in the 90s. It was really sort of the decade in which that sort of activism uh, among celebrities really sort of became a sort of staple of, of culture and Sting was at the forefront of that. So I, I would say that's so 90s because you got to say as much as you might mock him quite bravely sort of took that plunge he knew oh, people exactly, might mock yeah. him I fully believe he passionately believed in that so good for you Gordon what did the rainforest do in the 90s uh, needed to be saved needed to be <laughs> saved, <laughs> to be saved. And, who was, and who was at the forefront of that Bono <laughs> <laughs> no he wasn't <laughs> So, Mr. Poole, yeah, after awarding this project being very creative and sort of admitting that Harvey was amazing in this entire project and giving them an A for it, however, she's completely embarrassed at Sabrina, though, and she's convinced that the other kids thought it was lame. Sabrina gets into an even bigger mood and tells Harvey that the project was a disaster and she doesn't care what Mr. Poole thought of it. She wants to eat alone, leaving Harvey and Marty the Spider Monkey pretty upset. Oh. She's in a bad mood. She doesn't know how to take it. She's got a wart on her head. She's wearing a cap for a sport she doesn't care about, for a team she doesn't even know about. Brilliant. She's having a pretty much of a bad day. I hope it doesn't get worse. Spoiler alert, it does. Uh, in the cafeteria, Sabrina is eating three puddings at an alarming rate. And reading? She's reading the Bell Jar film. Now, the Bell Jar. Now, Chris, you are... Perhaps it's probably equal to say, not fancy. Graham. Graham is a very intelligent man, but you're more the... The academic man of us. You are the yeah. man who's oh, involved in more of the arts, the literature of this world. Oh, please that. tell us what the Bell Jar is all about. That's putting pressure on me, mate. It is. Good. You've got to contribute something to this episode. Well, I, I thought I already did, but never mind. You, now, you, you um, explained the Bell Jar quite succinctly while we were bro- while we were viewing yeah, the episode. So. so the Bell Jar is uh, Sylvia Plath's. Is set, well, it's essentially her suicide note. Um, she she wrote it, maybe. Uh, less than a decade before she took her life and it is a quite um, in-depth look at her own life essentially and and her spiral into depression which for this episode is extremely deep. It's a reference that's made to only really hardcore intelligent uh, fans. People will just go, she's reading a book. Or they wouldn't even notice she's reading anything just unless Sabrina in the cafeteria. I think so people who know exactly what that is, mm. the adult audiences, it holds such a deeper, darker meaning. Yeah, it, honestly, seriously, if you haven't read The Bell Jar and you fancy a, a trip down Melancholy Lane, read it. Yeah. I mean, we had, obviously, the Kafka reference in the previous episode. Um, you know, like, Nelf Scoville likes to throw out these sort of very sort of, you know, not necessarily niche, but sort of definitely adult. Um, educated. Educated literary, you know, references which the typical sort of teenage audience for this show would not pick up upon. And yeah, again, here it is the case of Sylvia Plath, uh, an English uh, poet and author. Um, she was married to Ted Hughes, who was poet laureate for a time and mm-hmm. wrote um, The Iron Man, amongst other things. 
and he was supposedly very abusive towards her to the point that her fans, of which there are many, erased his surname from her grave and wow. it has since been engraved upon it in metal so it cannot be removed. See, um, that, that's why Graham takes our literature. Yes. So all that, all that darkness, all that sort of, you know, that sort of almost, you know, a so, so, little sort of history of sort of, you know, sort of depression and sort of, you know, this very dark sub-story is sort of snuck in there yeah. by, by Nell Scoville and her team. And that's sort of, again, we've talked about I it think before. it's incredibly clever. And it elevates, yeah. and we've said it before, it elevates Sabrina above yeah. the typical fair. Exactly. It's, it's, again, as I said, it's something that people casually watching it wouldn't... wouldn't know about but us who were we're looking for the deeper meanings of it we're deconstructing each episode and it holds such such a bigger a meaning just a deeper meaning of this whole episode it shows that the people responsible for this show are very sort of clever people basically Not, not only that but in this episode specifically they constantly reference Sabrina as being in a bad mood yeah Okay, it is always, she's in a bad mood, she needs to get herself out of this bad mm-hmm. mood. She's reading the bell jar, which is Sylvia Plath, which is her, essen- her essential suicide note, talking about her descent into depression and why she took her own life, which she did take years later. Yeah. And, and if you look at historical figures through history, uh, one that springs to mind is uh, Winston Churchill whose memoirs talk about something called the black dog which has stuck in society since then about the black dog is the metaphor for depression so you've got Sylvia Plath this bell jar of depression you've got Winston Churchill talking about depression being the black dog in the room always there always haunting him essentially and now you've got Hilda and Zelda saying she's in a bad mood she needs to get herself out of it if anything it is a message to the teenage generation saying yes you are going to go out there yes you are going to get stressed yes you might feel depressed yes you might feel anxious but you can get out of it yourself you have the power you have the strength all you need to do is recognise the situation that you're in and do what you can to try and resolve it. And that is the first step. I'm, I'm getting too deep with this. Just move on. It's Sabrina guys. is eating three puddings at an alarming rate, as we say. Is that really where we're at? Yeah. Oh, fuck me. We're fucking right at the start, mate. <laughs> Jenny comes over and asks if she wants to talk. She says no, but begrudgingly asks Jenny to elaborate on what she wanted to talk about earlier. Um, in an effort to be noticed more, Jenny says she wants to cut her hair. However, being viciously bored by the conversation, Sabrina decides to use her magic to mute her. Charming! Libby comes over, seemingly wanting to ask a question about her project. However, it's just a ruse to remove her cap, exposing the monstrous wart on her head. Sabrina runs out of the cafeteria and in a fit of rage, uses her magic to cause a snowstorm. And she transforms Libby into a goat. About bloody time. About bloody We've been asking for it to be turned into a goat for, God, since the start of Libby my... as goat is one of the few things I remember from viewing Sabrina as a child. <laughs> really? Really, yeah, seriously. Wow. <laughs> um, she then proceeds to use her magic to make her locker implode and she just gets in a grump and leaves. So, 
There we go. So her water's been exposed. She's been incredibly rude to Harvey. She's not cared about what Jenny wants. She's transformed Jenny. Uh, sorry, Libby. she's transformed Libby into a goat. Boys, can a day get any worse? Of course she can. Of course she can. Because Hilda she's in and Zelda and Salem. There's still three people at a house that she hasn't had contact exactly. with since the morning. There's still time to snap at them because she's in a bad mood. She storms back home and she continues her moody tirade into the kitchen. Uh, what's the matter? Zelda asks. What's the matter? I'll tell you what's the matter. I have to be a witch. I have to be immortal. I have to be a teenager. I have to be a girl all at the same time. That's what's the matter. <sighs> Heavy stuff, boys. That's the sort of central concept of the show. That she has to be all those things at once. But Salem says, hey... At least you've still got your thumbs and a door on your bathroom. <laughs> Touche, Salem. She runs upstairs, bumping into Hilda, who's trying to show her the Baltimore Orioles All-Star Player baseball card she's got, Brady Anderson. She says she doesn't care, and she apologises for her foul mood. To which Hilda tells her what will make her happy. And that thing that she tells her will make her happy is a flan. Or what? a flan. A flan, as we the Americans seemingly I... call it. I learned in this episode that Americans pronounce flan, flan, which I'm, I did I'm not know. I'm pretty sure a flan is like a Mexican dessert, or am I completely wrong? You're completely right. It's just a flan. It's just a flan. It's it, we it, have, yeah, it's we, a custard dessert, though, right? Yeah, fa well, flans are everywhere. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a flan, flan there, there's a but flan thing is, though, there. It is F-L-A-N, it's flan. I don't think Americans say, like, baths, like, you know, get in the bath. It's, yeah, it's, it's unusual that they say this, but nonetheless, yeah, Flan, it is mentioned many times in this episode. There is no R in Flan. No. Anyway, uh, alone in her bedroom, she ends up confiding in her mirrored reflection. Sabrina, that is. But her mirrored reflection invites her into the mirrored world to get away for a bit, just to calm down. She does, and she walks into her reflected bedroom, where everything is the wrong Long. way round. And magazines are written backwards. Like, what was it? Uh, uh, what was the magazine? Just Neat Neves, which is a 17 magazine. Yes. So very, very clever. She tries to read it and goes, oh, maybe I'll just look at the pictures. So we assume she does. Meanwhile, back in the real world kitchen, Hilda, Zelda and Salem are arguing about who should go and check on Sabrina. Finally settling to all go up together. They enter Sabrina's bedroom and notice the mirror. Well, the looking glass, as it's known as now, which is overcast and storming, causing them to realise that Sabrina has gone through and is thus trapped in her own bad mood. Cue the... Which, boys, is the first dun-dun-dun of the show so far. Wait, was that actually in there? It was. Yeah, I can... Completely missed that. No, it was it was a she's trapped. Dun, dun, dun. And that was the first moment of this series so far that's leading on from a break, which I assume would have been in the original broadcast, yeah. um, opposed to the DVD release. Um, yeah, would have caused a bit of a cliffhanger going into the break. Wow, quite a sinister thing. We've had um, slow, reflective, upsetting fade outs and things, but no, nothing. Like a... A dramatic... Wow, this is... She thinks she's having a good time, but this is quite dramatic. Wow. Yeah. yeah so we've had the first, first dun-dun-dun. Um, anyway, so Hilda and Zelda are unable to help Sabrina get out, as only she can escape from her own bad mood. Hilda hopes that her mirrored counterparts aren't too rotten, so hopefully that means we'll get to see them soon. 
We do, but not to the full fun expect we no, have hopes for. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that is, this is a, a, an expected viewer. Yeah. Uh, and a po- you go through a mirror. The mirror, you, you go into an alternative world where everything's backwards. You yeah. expect everything to be backwards. Therefore, I expected Zelda to be a lap dancer and Hilda to be a professor of sorts. You, the, the, you, the, yeah, absolute, yeah. the absolute complete... Yeah, you wanted you wanted Bizarro World. You did not get yes. it. Yes, yes. We just got kind of more miserable world, didn't we? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Worst case scenario world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's what it should have been called. Wait, the, just to clarify, there was no apocalypse. No, 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 there wasn't. But Hilda uh, tells us that she got trapped in her own resentment once and has never gotten over it. So, guys, is this why she murders people? Is she the evil reflection? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> So, or, or even perhaps she never got over her own resentment and she's still trapped in her own resentment. And this isn't actually a show about Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but this is a show about Hilda's resentment. Maybe. Well, it's no, but it's, yeah. It's absolutely not. But no, that is an interesting thing to cut into, Chris. Thank you. Um, so we cut back to Sabrina, who has slept through her warts rain, apparently, and it's ready to go back to school. However, she is told by her evil reflection that she's now trapped in there forever. Cue the... <laughs> when she wakes up, I don't know if you've got this, Phil. Okay. But this was just... This was one of those moments of continuity that you couldn't even plan. Right. It was awesome. The, oh, plan. Plan. Uh, yeah, sorry, plan. In normal world, she would have her spell book on the right and her alarm clock on the left. So yes. as viewers, it would be vice versa. Um, and the alarm clock actually read 5am and she stated it was 7 So even in backwards world, even the clocks are backwards. It was just one of those moments of... That's quite clever. Yeah, it's very, very clever. Everything has been thought out in incredible detail down to the... You know, this isn't a goof like, oh, that clock's this as five. It's It strikes five and it goes off. It's just, oh, it's seven. Like, it's just the reflection of the of five into seven. It's fabulous. I, it was incredible brilliant. sort of it was level of detail, isn't it? So, uh, so the alarm goes off. Yeah, she wakes up and she realises she's trapped in the reflection world. Oh, shit. Uh, just as she's panicking because she can't open the bedroom door, uh, none other than Baltimore Orioles' Brady Anderson magically appears to calm her down. Just so everyone knows, we have no idea who that is. We're just acting excited. Brady Anderson is... Yeah, he played for the Baltimore Orioles. He is... Um, I'm not sure of his accolades, but he is... He played an incredibly successful season uh, for the Baltimore Orioles round about this time, and um, he... I think he's a, he's a Hall of Famer now, and yeah, there's... For, for people who are not into sport, let alone baseball, he's just... He's, he's just a well-accomplished athlete. Good for you, Brady Anderson. You were good at baseball, but let's get this straight. He is... Easily, and we've had people who aren't really actors, people like Randy Travis, uh, appear in the Penn series. Penn and Teller, exactly, you know, appear in this series so far and do very well for themselves. Brady Anderson is a absolutely reprehensibly terrible actor. <laughs> we've referenced Zero to Hero on this podcast already. Yes. His acting is comparable to the level exhibited by Michael Owen in that series. <laughs> yeah. It is wooden beyond words. And it's weird because <clears throat> it's they've clearly written. I mean, he was. 
I mean, he must have been at this time a huge sports star. And let's get this clear, and a massive deal. He's in this episode a lot. He yeah. doesn't only have a few lines. He is easily like he's probably like the third most important person in this episode yeah. after Sabrina he's, and Harvey. He's been deliberately written in to be her guardian angel in this episode. But it's spirit so, guy, spirit guy, sorry, spirit guy. He's, it's so weird. They could have chosen anyone from this year or just anyone in general to play a spirit um, as guardian. guardian. But it's it's so bizarre that they've just gone so much with this guy and they've gotten him and. He's so wooden and uninspiring and fucking dull. Do you, do you want to know what my, my thought process oh, is? I wouldn't like anything more. He, he was there and available. He was there and available. Could we buy that? Certainly, I mean, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew him and was getting <laughs> down there. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so Brady Anderson's uh, terrible but fantastic acting. Uh, plays a large role for the rest of the episode. Well, it's one of those moments where I can... Let, let's reference it again. We've referenced it quite enough. The special guest stars on Sabrina. Just and they are period. huge deals. They are huge they? deals. They're not just people who were around that time. They seem to be the biggest stars of that year. Yeah, Britney Spears was... was yeah, later on. You yeah. Know. So it, it's one of those moments where it's like, we need someone... Big sports star, who've you got? They came up with... Brady Anderson. And, he, and in fairness, it could have worked if you he know had what? an ounce of acting in him. In fairness, he turned up, he did the episode well in. Good good job, Brady. No. No, no, no. He detracted massively from this episode yeah. for me. So for- a, a, not knowing who he was, which... You know, I guess my bad not knowing 90s baseball players, but... Well, yeah. you're not American. I'm not American and not, you know, old enough really to remember, you know, baseball from this era anyway. But, um, yeah, just his, his terrible performance. You know, I don't know who Randy Travis is. Still found him very entertaining. Oh, he was very good. Yeah. He, he was, was great. Brady Anderson, just, yeah, a very wooden... Don't quit your day job. Yes, absolutely. Don't yeah. quit it, Brady. Brady Anderson magically appears to calm her down. However, he seems really awkward as fuck and follows her around the room like he's a rapey creep. Mm. Uh, Brady sits down and tells her that everyone lives in stress and that we shouldn't take it out on other people. Uh, he then tells Sabrina that he will help her get back home. So that's nice. First things first, though, she must make her amends. So she promises to apologise to everyone and ultimately revert Libby back into the old mean self that she was before she was a goat. Uh, Brady opens the door for her, telling her that the reason that she couldn't open it before is because, boys, I quote, she choked up on the knob. A baseball fanfare plays to inform us it's a baseball pun, rather than a comment on her gag reflex. Yeah. As if that's a thing in baseball. Well, no. Is it actually, Phil? Have you got this it, on no, record? Is, it, is that what yes. did she say she choked up on the knob? No, yeah, because, no, no, because he, the last time someone choked up on the knob with me, it was quite painful. Quite graphic. Um, no, no, she, no. It's not what it no, says. No, no, no. So she choked up on the knob. That, that's what he said. You choked up on the knob. Does he definitely say that? He said, absolutely 100% said you choked up on the knob. <laughs> got the subtitles up and everything. No, choked up is a popular phrase within baseball in terms of, you know, you choked, you... I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, what yeah. it comes what, from. What's yeah, what, what's the knob? The knob is the fact that she couldn't open up the door. She couldn't oh, open the door. okay. Because she choked up on opening up, well, turning the knob of the door. That's all. Oh, that is not explicit. Yeah, that, that, that is not yeah, explicit. Well, that's why I said, like, like, she goes, oh, you choked up on the knob, and then we get a... 
That's, no, that was an innuendo. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think so. They're so oblivious to the way we speak. The, 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 no. No, 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 no. They're so oblivious to real English that I can honestly understand that that would be just a completely innocent baseball joke that we found hilarious for completely well, different well, reasons. We, we got the do 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 in, in all seriousness, the phrase choked up on the knob has two meanings right. in the Queen's English. Okay, tell us both. Reason number one. Reason number one. The girl that you are currently with has gripped your penis yes. quite hard. And therefore has choked up on your knob. As in got scared of it, nervous of it. No, no, no. Has literally gripped so much. Okay. Choked it. Okay. Cut off the blood circulation. Thank you. Right, okay. The second one, choked up on your knob, or choked up on the knob. Yeah, on the knob. On the knob. Is altogether more unpleasant. Is altogether more unpleasant. Where the girl that you, or woman, or female, or however you wish to portray this, it, or even man at this even point. Even man. Uh, man, woman, <laughs> I would say child. I was you nearly that. said man, woman, child. <laughs> 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 I was like, this is in the Titanic. <laughs> so, yeah, she uh, she choked up on the other doorknob. You're, That's what he's referring to. That's what the fanfare referred to. However, we refer to. That's a fucking dirty joke. She heads downstairs to meet her reflection relatives. Zelda is incredibly rude, abrupt, and uninterested. Uh, Hilda is miserable and self-loathing, or under the weather, as she says, while she's sitting underneath a giant rain cloud. And Salem is... the same? No, 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 no. He's, no, just, no. he's, he's just unsuccessful on the stock market. Yeah, so the same. Yeah. It's a bit weird. He's not really any different. He's a, maybe a bit ruder, rather than being or maybe cynical that, and may, may, unhelpful. Maybe, maybe that's something about him. Yeah, maybe. That he's just unchangeable. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, that, that goes in a bit deeper, yeah. yeah. So we're in school and Jenny tells Sabrina that she's got something to say to her. I'm all layers, Sabrina says. Yeah, so am I. And with that, Jenny removes her hat and she's got a little frizzy fro. Who does she look like, Graham? Uh, she looks like Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> fame. Uh, the, uh, yes, the uh, legendary uh, singer-songwriter. She tells Sabrina that she isn't going to talk to her anymore because she should have stopped her from making the terrible decisions to cut her hair. But Sabrina turns into a positive, saying it looks great. And hair grows. Hair grows? Yeah. Hair grows. Hair Gross, also used to be manager of uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Christian Gross. Hair Gross. <laughs> but there uh, yeah. um, uh, So, yeah, Hair Gross. Uh, Jenny seems happy with that. Uh, we're in the library in Harvey, who is also reading the bell jar, but it's not the bell jar because it's backwards. So, what is it? The, the it's leb- a Rajleb. The, the Rajleb he's reading, so he's a no, bit the, depressive the, now. Rajlebet. Rajlebet, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. It, the the words are in the same order but backwards. Yeah. So, so yes. Et et lebrach. So That's he's the reading the uh, the depressed uh, suicidal novel now. Oh, poor Harvey. Hope he gets out of this rut. Um, so Harvey's trying to shoo Sabrina away, insisting that she can't be seen with him after he embarrassed her so much about their lame science project. Sabrina apologizes for a foul mood by using Marty the spider monkey to make amends, even though his eyes are missing because he allegedly had a fight with Harvey. Poor Marty. Poor Marty. And poor Harvey for having to beat up his own hand puppet. I didn't well, think Harvey well, the type to abuse a hand puppet. No. Uh, next up is Libby, who is eating some poor lad's homework. So Sabrina drags Libby the goat, remember, she is a goat, into the toilet and transforms her back into the most amazing display of magic we've ever seen. 
I definitely mean, so far. Girl, girl, we... well, goat to girl is utterly incredible. I mean, we've talked at length um, about the special effects in this series. How for a not particularly expensive television program of you know now twenty years ago, the special effects are you know utterly dope. Um, and that's so nice. <laughs> that is what so nice. the hell. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we're watching we're watching this uh, back in 2017. I mean, this episode aired. Um, God, how many years ago? 2020 years yes, ago. Uh, no, yeah, for, tw- uh, 20, 22. No, no, no. 97. Full 20 Was years it, ago. Yeah, 20, 20 years ago, this aired, and this looks fantastic. Honestly, yeah. if you ever wanted to know what would happen if a goat just transformed back into a woman, this is it. This yeah. is the episode to watch. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely flawless. It's incredible. We even slow played it. And Multiple it, we, times. We, we, we watched it a few times. And you bear in mind, folks, that like slow motion of a television programme in 1997 did not exist. Even on VHS, you found, you'd find that very difficult to do. And that was all you had in terms of home video back then. So... They didn't even intend for it ever to be sort of analysed and sort of, you know, sort of um, slowed down and analysed, you know, sort of frame by frame in this level. And it is still utterly flawless. Uh, Yeah, after that incredible display of magic, the best magic we've seen so far and probably will ever see in this show, Sabrina apologises and leaves Libby to wash her smelly goat smelling hands, only to be horrified when she starts eating the paper (laughs) towel. Which was quite hilarious. (laughs) And again, something I remember from uh, from watching the episode. So she's turned back to a human. However, she still has these urges of eating things that goats do. They can eat anything they can get their hands on. In the school corridor, Brady Anderson, her spirit guide no less, has followed her in, making sure she's doing her job. Sabina tells Brady that she's cheered everyone up, but she ain't, as her bad mood actually ripples throughout the school, and she's got to now cheer everyone up, especially, boys, dishevelled Mr Poole, oh. who slept in the school because of the snowstorm. He's cold, depressed and equipped with a fine five o'clock shadow. All I'm going to say is, what school shuts off the heating at 6pm? That is just horrendous. No, it's not. Who's in a school after 6 yeah, o'clock? Me. The heating on. A comprehensive school. If you taught in a state, like, high school, you'd be gone by 6. Other than on parents' evening. At which case, you'd probably make an exception and extend the heating allowance. Oh, yeah, yeah. But poor um, Mr Poole, he's just he's finished at the end of the day. The snowstorm that Sabrina caused has made sure he can't go home. And, yeah, he's had to sleep in his coat and he looks just awful. And the worst thing is, he says he believes he was hallucinating the whole night because he was pretty sure that a snotty goat was roaming the school. Now, wait a second. A snotty goat was roaming the school. Obviously, that's Libby. The goat was roaming the school overnight. What concerned me more was the fact that if goat Libby was roaming the school overnight, she didn't come home. Libby's poor parents must have wondered where their little girl had gone. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Because, obviously, Sabrina slept through the night, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Those parents have been... Frantically, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Yeah. Oh, it was only the other week where she couldn't breathe properly because she had suddenly had asthma. Yeah. And a couple of weeks before that, Parkinson's. she came home and said it was she was a pineapple. Yeah. My daughter is going insane, and now she says she's a goat. Let's put I, her down. 
I would transfer schools if yeah. I was, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Quite a traumatic experience poor Libby Chesler's had. Uh, but no, yeah, she's been turned back into a human being, which is great for her. Um, so we're in the school corridor, and Brady Anderson, as we say, has followed her, making sure she's done a good job. But Mr. Poole, as we say, is now dishevelled and upset that he had to spend the night there. Sabrina naturally brings Brady Anderson in to cheer him up, and he signs his brain... Yes, this little brain model he has uh, yes. in his uh, biology and classroom. And he distinctively asks, which lobe do you want me to sign? Or just this one, please, the lower end? Whoa. And he cheers. Because he's ecstatic that Brady Anderson, this man that we've never heard of... The Brady Anderson. Yeah, who is a massive deal, who they got in this episode, is there to sign something of Mr. Poole's. Fabulous. Uh, back in the school corridor, Sabrina announces to everyone in the school that she was in a bad mood yesterday, and she apologises for it. Uh, she then tells everyone that there's a big surprise in the cafeteria, so everyone should proceed there in or in an orderly fashion. So naturally, everyone likes it and screams. Sounds about right. It's just the way of the world, isn't it? What was there waiting for them was without a doubt the stupidest gag yet, and you called it, Chris, I did. before we saw it. It took me by surprise when I first watched it. I thought, wow, that is... That is fucking stupid. <laughs> yep. But you, you shouted it. And you, were you, how did you feel when you realised what was coming up? It was one of those moments where in life you, you have maybe five or six of these moments where you're able to essentially foresee the future. Yeah. And I felt shit because I used it on such a dreadful, <laughs> <laughs> dreadful thing. I've now lost one of those five or six items, so it's like, I can see the future. It's a giant flan! Yes. Oh, I'm going to no. call it. So it wasn't a giant flan, what was it? What was it? Flan. A, a giant, giant flan. Yes. So we can't, we can't even say flantastic. No. Oh. No. Oh, I wrote that in there to say that towards the end. Yeah, but it doesn't You've work. You've ruined no, flan. Just like one of, one of my five or six times that I can see yeah. the future. It's yeah. ruined. Unfortunately, it's murder yeah. on the flans floor. <laughs> oh, that is awful. So, uh, Sabrina murder, has made... Murder on the Florient Express. What the fuck is that? I have no idea. I just went with something that didn't work. Carry on. I'm not even going to cut that. I'm keeping that in. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. That's better. You... You got that off the back of mine! <laughs> so, Sabrina has made this giant flan slash flan appear in the school cafeteria, and everyone is enjoying eating it while we hear a kind of a poor man's REM rip-off track called... Sim- I think it's called Just Happy People, yeah. uh, which is playing underneath uh, a montage of everyone really enjoying their bowl of all three of flan. As opposed to REM's early 90s hit, Shiny Happy People. Yes. Uh, so she takes a plate home with her, which instantly cheers up her reflection relatives. Never underestimate the power of flan, she says. Uh, she proceeds to her bedroom and joyously opens the door into Brady Anderson's face, who's there to say his goodbyes. And then he says kind of the most meaningful part, I guess the the line that he was hired to deliver. However, any fucking monkey could have said it. Uh, remember, Sabrina, life is a team sport. So that's... They probably wrote that line and thought, who can we get in to say that? Fucking anyone other than Brady Anderson. Who's a big star in team sports at the moment? Yeah. It's Brady Anderson, and that's why they brought him in. It's an encouraging statement, even though he thinks it's lame. 
and it was lame because you delivered it really, really shitty. Uh, back in the real world, though, the Spellmans are overjoyed that she's escaped her bad mood. Hey! Sabrina learns that the real world carried on without her, so she immediately calls Jenny to make sure she hasn't shaved her head yet. Thankfully, she hasn't. Uh, she celebrates her good mood the only way she knows how, with a, and I quote, a woggly, joggly flan. Woggly joggly. Woggly joggly flan. Flan, not yeah. flan. Uh, the credits roll and she can't make her mind up on what to wear, which gradually pisses off her reflection in the process. To the point her reflection leaves. <laughs> she can no longer examine how she looks in these outfits. Because she just can't make her mind up. She's a typical girl in a typical world. But that's why we love her. But then, I mean, you think that, like, having a reflection that has a mind of its own, I mean, you know, it sort of helps her sort of resolve the situation in this episode. But in terms of the general purpose your reflection serves, the fact it has a mind of its own, the fact it is impatient and impulsive, is a real drawback. She's sort of disadvantaged relative to mortals, as far as that Mm. goes. There we go, that is the end of episode 14, Sabrina Through the Looking Glass. Graham, as always, I go to you first, so... I'm going to go to you first. Um, to be honest, I did enjoy the episode. I very much enjoyed the episode. But the, um, to be honest, the terrible, terrible acting of um, our, our man, uh, Mr. Brady, he really did sort of detract from the episode. Yeah, he did, didn't he? So much of it was built around him, and he gave such an ineffectual uh, sort of wooden performance. Uh, yeah, I really did. And the fact that, you know, I don't have a clue who this man is. Um, yeah, I, mean, I really did sort of resent that a little. Nonetheless, I mean, you know, we had some funny Mr. Pool moments, which are, you know, always among my highlights. You know, some good jokes here and there. And, you know, I'd say this episode ranks somewhere in the middle of, of what we've seen so far. Yeah. Chris, what do you feel? It was it was quite enjoyable. We, we, we got to see uh, essentially a different side of the Spellmans, which was quite nice. Mm-hmm. Uh... But it was alright. Yeah, I quite. feel like the, the, the their guest star sort of brought the whole whole episode down it a bit. It did, and yeah. this is um, I agree with you guys. It, it was an enjoyable episode. However, for the first time, I think the guest star has let them down. It was it was as if he was cast because they wrote that line, and they thought, who is the biggest star right now? Arch Brady Anderson. Do you think he can convincingly? portray this charismatic bloke in a TV show ah does it matter it's Brady fucking Anderson I'm thinking that these guys people are going to be watching it 20 years later going who the fuck is this guy I think the problem is that as well that the bar has been set so high as Mm. far as guest stars have gone both in terms of their name recognition but also in terms I mean we don't know who this guy is but I think in name recognition in 1997 I think this guy was generally a big deal oh yeah I'm sure in terms of name recognition he did deliver but what was um, about to say was that you know we've had some big name guest stars but not only are they big names they've also sort of delivered in terms of performance, and as I say, they've not always been actors, you know, people like Randy Travis have done extremely well. So, yeah, but we're used to this high standard in particular, you know, somebody like Brady Anderson, both in terms of the fact that we as, you know, sort of um, English people aged under 30, you know, don't have a clue who this man is, but that's almost our lookout. But, you know, in terms of, I don't know who Randy Travis was either, but in terms of performance he gave, he was excellent. So from this, you know, extremely high sort of benchmark that's been set, you know, 
somebody like him coming along, yes, he is an athlete, yes, he you know is sort of out of his comfort zone, but he was so integral to the episode, and unfortunately, his performance is almost what the episode not lives and dies by, mm-hmm. but it has a great bearing on the on your overall opinion on the episode. The fact his performance is so poor. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, Chris. As always, you are our resident, and uh, even away when we're on holiday, you are still the national, you are even the Welsh uh, rank master here. Um, how would you describe this episode? Because it is your job to uh, to set the bar, to tell us what you think this episode deserves, and we'll agree or disagree with your decision. Well, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Oh, please, that's what we would expect, nothing but. It, it was better than average, average being five. Yes. However, I believe to date my current best ranking is seven. Very harsh. It hasn't it hasn't really surpassed that. I don't feel like it was a six. But it was better than a five. Okay. So I'm going with five point five snotty goats roaming the halls. Okay. So five point five snotty goats out of roaming the halls. Graham, would you agree or disagree? I disagree, but only to a marginal extent. Um, you expect a high standard from Sabrina at this point, and it, it, it you know it does sort of live up to those standards on sort of you know a base level. Um, so yeah, I would I would give it a six. Okay, six six goats roaming the hall. Okay, I would disagree with you both, and I'm going to go actually for the first time. I think below Chris, I'm going to give this five. Wow! Oh my days! Oh. Just this squad, big Ooh. deal. None of us have either gone below Chris. We've either gone show, the same show, or show your working, please, because no. this is interesting. I, I don't think I think just I neither enjoyed nor didn't enjoy this episode. I think it was an episode that I watched. It started and it finished, and didn't. That was it. I don't. I don't really think. I think what would have made it better was if they had a more charismatic sports star just yeah. to come in and say that line. I think Brady Anderson just made it a. It made me realise I'm watching a TV show. Yeah, I think it's. It sounds a bit weird. Obviously, we know we're watching a TV show, uh, but I think when we've got things like Libby turning into a goat and then turning back to a person, we've got something so magical. We're like, oh my god, this is amazing! Yeah, that's why it got the point five from me. Yeah, and but I think I think despite I think despite that, I think Brady Anderson just killed it for me. I think. No human wow. being talks like Brady Anderson does in this <laughs> yeah. episode. I think that's what Phil's getting at, really. Yeah. So there we go, so episode 14 with Sabrina through the looking glass, it got a 5 from me, a 6 from Graham and a 5.5 from Chris. What do you make of it? Why don't you check it out and let us know. Uh, boys, episode 15, would you like to know what it's called? Oh yeah, go on. Go it ahead. is called, this sounds an interesting one, okay. It's called Hilda and Zelda, The Teenage Years. Oh my days. Are we going to find out how that guy got into the Renaissance ring? I don't know. I really hope so. I want to find out how many people Hilda killed when the, <laughs> when the first one was. What do you think this episode is about? I'm going to go with Chris first. Okay, Hilda and Zelda, the teenage years. We're looking at some form of maybe uh, time travel or sort of a memory memory recount to Sabrina about how it was when they were 16. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, that, that, that's where I'm going at. Graham? I mean, obviously it goes out saying we must be travelling back into the adolescence of Hildren's Old, but as to how we get there, what the reasoning is, I'm not too sure. I, was, I mean, we've seen that time travel is possible. I mean, does Sabrina join them in their teenage years? We're not sure. I would imagine that um, through some um, 
device. It could even be. I, in fact, I am going. <gasps> I'm going to say it is as simple as I'm sort of just just recounting stories and was doing the whole sort of wavy screen. Yeah. Okay, Chris, so you're going to change your decision. I'm changing my decision. Okay. Sabrina has this sort of revelation that if only Hilda and Zelda could understand what she's going through and somehow magically turns Hilda and Zelda into teenagers and they have to fit into the modern day. That's kind of close. Yes! Again, that's kind of close. It's very good. It's, I mean, the title is misleading. It really should have been called Hilda and Zelda The Teenage Hours. They're only teenagers for a limited amount of time in the present day. We don't, unfortunately, find out anything to do with them as teenagers. However, they do become teenagers for a short amount of time. Episode 15, Hilda and Zelda The Teenagers. Uh, after not allowing Sabrina to stay out late watching the violent femmes, uh, Hilda and Zelda transform themselves into teenage chaperones as a compromise, but end up being the ones to cause mischief and mayhem. Quick question. Yes. It's going to see the Violent Femmes that that's so 90s of the next that's episode. That's so 90s! <laughs> We've not even got to the next episode, and we already know what's going to be the most 90s thing. The Violent Femmes. <gasps> oh, Are you yes. clued up on the Violent Femmes? Oh, we're certainly not, but we're going to find out before uh, next I knew, week's I knew episode. we knew that that was 90s. <laughs> but episode 15, Hilda and Zelda the Teenagers, is our next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Episode 14, uh, which was Sabrina through the looking glass throughout. I believe I've been Phil Dean. To my left has been Graham Riley. Diolk, which is Welsh. Well, thank you. Well done, Graham. And uh, Chris Evans has been to my right. Night. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, that's not Welsh. Sabrina the Teenage Watch is available in many different formats, so whether you're listening to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, please leave us a comment or a review. Your support means we get more listeners, and it means our hard work is not going to waste. And we can look at ourselves in the mirror. If you want to contact us or keep up to date with our episodes, you can follow us on Twitter, at Sabrina Watch. And you can find us on Facebook, just search for Sabrina the Teenage Watch, and there we shall be. And thank you to you for listening wherever you are. And remember, may every little thing you do be, be magic. magic.